I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews 11 tonight, and we're continuing this series uh, through Hebrews, and or Hebrews 11, rather. How many of you were here last week, Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 11? We kicked this series off. <clears throat> Let me give you just a little bit of background. Sorry, I think I lost my voice during worship. I was just really shouting out one of those songs, and um, anyway, but uh, the book of Hebrews as a whole was written to a group of, of Christians, Jewish Christians, that had received Jesus as their Messiah. They had received Christ. And now, especially in Rome, when the writer of Hebrews is writing, Christians are facing immense persecution in Rome under the emperor Nero. And what this had caused was the Jewish people weren't being persecuted at this time, but the Christians were. And so some of the Jewish Christians were now turning back and they were turning away from Christ. They were renouncing their faith in Christ to avoid suffering, to avoid persecution. And so the writer of Hebrews sits down to write and tell them that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything and, and everything, especially better than everything in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. That he's a better mediator, that he's a better high priest, that, that we are part of the New Covenant, which is a better covenant that produces better results, that has better promises, all based on a better sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so when we get to chapter 11, he's encouraging them to live faithfully for God, in the midst of, of all of the chaos, in the midst even of the persecution, and he begins to walk through this, this what is called the hall of faith, to, to walk through it, and, and he walks through the Old Testament looking at different individuals, different people from their history, their family history, and showing how they lived faithfully for God in the midst of difficult circumstances and, and how they walked out their faith. And so we're, we're looking at this chapter on Sunday nights, pulling these lessons out from this chapter on what it looks like for us to live faithfully for God in the year 2022. How many of you, that's your heart's desire? To live faithfully for the Lord in, in the time and the season in which he has placed us here. And so Again, last week we looked at the definition of what faith is and, and we looked at where faith comes from and we see that faith comes from the word of God and then we looked at the result of faith or the manifestation of faith, what faith produces in the believer's life and I just want to underscore that again for you that faith manifests itself by confident obedience to God's word in spite of the circumstances, consequences, or outcomes. Faith manifests itself in confident obedience to the word of God in spite of the circumstances, the consequences, or the outcomes. And so tonight we're looking at verse four, just one verse, if you can believe that. Was where we're going to start anyway. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, 
God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us in in the the next few moments that we have together. Uh, Lord, we know that your presence is here. Your spirit is here with us tonight. Lord, I thank you that you have received our worship, the songs that we have sung. Lord, you've heard our prayers. And now as we spend time in your word, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would help us to live faithfully for you in our lives where you have us, in spite of the outcome, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the consequences, Lord, that we would obey your word with confidence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the story that he's referencing here, Abel, Cain and Abel, that's in Genesis chapter 4. So um, flip, flip back with me there in your Bible to Genesis chapter 4. Um, I, I, did, I did lie a little bit when I said we're only looking at one verse. We're going we're gonna to look at a few verses from, I don't know if that's lying, but anyway. Um, If it was, God forgive me and you forgive me too. Uh, But Genesis chapter 4, we're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel as he uses Abel as as an example. And and here in Genesis 4, there's a a very brief story. And of course, Genesis 1, God creates the world. Genesis 2, God creates humanity in his image and, and brings Adam and Eve together in uh, union in, in holy matrimony. It gives them the parameters by which they're to live in the world that he had made, namely that they are not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 3, they decide that the devil's a better theologian than God, and so they decide to obey the serpent instead of following God. They decide to eat from the tree, uh, which b- gets them uh, banished from the garden, banished from the presence of God, and now living under the curse of sin and death. And then in chapter 4, we start to see what happens to this this family of humanity, what happens uh, to them. And uh, they've just been exiled from the presence of God. They've been exiled from the garden. And in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew his wife, Eve, And she conceived and bore a son and named him Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So he accepted Abel's offering, but he did not accept Cain's offering. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, or if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you or to rule over you, but you must rule over it. And then the story becomes tragic. In verse 8, it says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and 
when they were out in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And then there's a, a, a curse pronounced upon Cain and uh, he is banished uh, from the presence of the Lord. And in verse 16, it says, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Now, if, if, if you will flip back, we're going to flip back and forth from Genesis 4 to Hebrews 11. Now, this, this offering, the, the commentary here in, in verse 4, Hebrews 11, 4, this commentary gives a lot of insight, gives a lot of, of revelation into what was happening there. It says, by faith, everybody say, by faith, by faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous and God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So Cain and Abel, these two brothers, they come and they, they offer up worship to the Lord. They offer up worship to the Lord. That's really what this is about. The story is about offering worship to God that is acceptable. Acceptable. Cain's worship is not accepted. Abel's worship is accepted. And you look at the story and you say, well, why in the world did God receive Abel's offering, but he didn't receive Cain's offering? And there have been uh, many who have said, well, Abel brought a blood sacrifice and that's what, what God required. And so that's why God received Abel's offering and not Cain's because Cain brought from the fruit of the ground. Cain brought, you know, a, a vegetable tray and, you know, God likes a good barbecue more than vegetables. Can I get an amen? Uh, you know, is, is that what's happening here? Um, it, it could be, I, I will say it could be. It's not explicit in the story that that's what's happening. And in fact, later on in the book of Exodus, after God calls his people out of Egypt and he gives them his law, there's actually several offerings of worship that could be brought to God that were fruit offerings and vegetable offerings. So, so it's not that God would only receive this type of sacrifice. What I think is really at play is not necessarily the content of their offerings, but rather the content of their heart. It says, by faith, Abel offered a more acceptable offering. And back in Genesis 4, it tells us that what Abel brought to the Lord by faith was of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, which uh, in, in that day and age and even in several cultures, um, those are the most prized and, and considered the best cuts of meat. Now, when I go to Bill Miller's, I ask for extra lean brisket, okay? I like my meat extra lean. But really, even in other cultures, when I went to Japan, 
they served this marbled steak uh, that was like $300 for, you know, and it's, it has all the fat in there. And I don't really care for it, but it's this great, incredible delicacy. But that's the point. That's the point of this passage, that Abel, because of his faith, he brought his first and his best to the Lord. When it came time to worship, Abel didn't bring the leftovers. When it came time to worship, Abel didn't bring his second best, his third best. Abel didn't just offer any old offering to the Lord. He, no, he brought from his firstborn, that was the first, that was considered the best, and then from the best parts of the firstborn. And he offered it in faith. And so his faith in God caused him to bring a great offering to the Lord. But it starts with his faith. It starts with his heart. And I have three points for us tonight. And the first is this, that faith, faith in God, faith is the fountainhead of worship. Faith is the fountainhead of worship. It, that if we, when we worship God, it, it springs forth from, it is downstream, if you will, from our faith in God. And so I put it this way, your faith in God is the fountainhead of your worship. Another way to say that is true faith will produce true worship. Genuine faith will produce genuine worship. Deep faith will produce deep worship. Faith is the fountainhead of worship. If we don't have faith in God, we, we can't worship God. Amen? It, it springs forth from our faith in God. Worship is, is downstream from faith. Worship flows from our faith. What this means is that our worship, the heights of our worship, can never surpass the heights or the depths of our faith. You see, a, a, a water can never rise higher than its source. And because faith produces genuine and real and true worship, as we see here, for our worship to grow, our faith must grow as well. If we want our experience in worship to deepen, we need our faith in God to deepen. It's shallow faith that produces shallow worship. And so faith is, is the, the fountainhead of worship. And again, what separated Abel's offering was this faith. By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable Sacrifice. Now, we said that faith manifests in confident obedience to God's word. It's, it's not exactly clear why Cain did what he did. We don't know that. We don't get the answer to why he didn't bring uh, the offering that he should have brought or what was happening in his heart. But what is clear from this passage, especially from the questions that God asks of him, what is clear is that Cain knew the right thing to do, but he chose to go his own way and to worship God on his own terms versus on God's terms. The, the, the question that 
God asks Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? You see, Cain knew the right way to worship God. He knew what God required. But he thought that he could worship God in his own way. He he thought that he could uh, uh, do it by following his own heart and his own path instead of following the path that God had prescribed. Now, Jesus, speaking of worship in John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well, we're not going to take time to walk through that whole passage. But in verse 23, Jesus tells this woman at the well that the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And so when we worship the Lord, we offer up sacrifices of praise, the Bible tells us. And we do so in faith, in spirit and in truth, in spirit and in truth. What that means in truth is, 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 our, is, is the words that we're singing, do they match the content of our heart? Because worship is not just about the songs. It's about the heart. And this is what was going on with with Cain and Abel. Cain was going through the motions. But his heart, he didn't offer his offering in faith. His heart wasn't right before God, obviously. (laughs) Obviously. His heart had been corrupted by, by sin. And he chose to go his own way. But God is looking, the Father is seeking such people to worship him in spirit And in truth, to offer up to God spiritual worship from the deepest places of our hearts, from the deepest places of our soul. The songs, the worship, the the, the music, and, and everything that happens up here, that's just to be an aid unto you. It's just an aid. But we, the people of God, we're the we're the choir, we're the congregation. It's not about what's happening up here. It's what's happening out there and in here. It would be a great um, tragedy for us to think that worship is about what happens up here. No, this is just to help you. This is just to, to make it a little bit easier for you. This is the, the worship team is just saying, hey, come with us. We're going to go into the presence of God. We're going to sing his praises. Let's do this together. They're there to serve us and to help us. But it's about us worshiping God. It's not about us coming and saying, man, Justin, he just really worshiped God tonight. That just blessed my soul. Listen, if that's the depths of your worship, there's a deeper place to go. There's, there's, There's things to be explored in God in worship and, and the songs, the lyrics, it's not about the songs and the lyrics, though they are helpful to us. They're just to be an aid to hopefully being, help us to express what's already in our hearts. To help with what is in our hearts. And 
And when we were, when I was a kid, and I, t- I talk about when I was a kid a lot, I, I was either really blessed or really traumatized. Um, probably a little bit of both. Either one of my, if I, if I start telling a story about when I was a kid, it's either going to be a traumatic event that I'm still trying to get over or just one of the great blessings in my life. This one's a good one. It's a blessing. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we, we used to, um, we, we used to, in, in the moments between songs, we would just invite the congregation to sing their own song, to, to, to lift up their own voice and to express in their own words. Uh, it, we used to call it the song of the Lord. You know, let's just sing the song of the Lord. I don't know who came up with that title or where it comes from because it's really the song of the people, but we would say, let's sing the, the song of the Lord. And, and we would give the congregation just an opportunity to, to, to sing out for the depths of their soul to worship God in spirit and in truth. Again, the songs that we sing, they're, they're an aid, they're a, they're a help, they're, they're a great blessing because sometimes we're not the best at expressing what's in our heart. Amen. Right? Have, right? I mean, have you ever said something that didn't come out quite the right way? Right? So, so the songs are helpful, but man, when we can get to the place where there's an opportunity for our hearts to just overflow with what God has done for us, to worship him in spirit and in truth, without the aid of songs, without the aid of, of, of needing uh, all of the, the things to sort of coax us and say, come along, let's do this. No, but when we can just open up our hearts to the Lord and just begin to extol him and begin to magnify him and, and begin to sing his praises. Now that might be, it might be awkward for you to, to do that at first if you've never done that before. It, it might be a little bit awkward. Uh, but that's okay. You know, so what? It's a great blessing when we begin to, to express our love for the Lord. The Bible says that he loves to hear our praises. He loves to hear our praises. You know, in a, in a relationship, as we are in a relationship with God, um, you, you, you like it when the person you're in a relationship with, I'll talk about in a marriage, you like it when they express to you their love. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I heard all the wives say yes, anyway. Um, but, but what if all of your expression for the one that you love, what if you just like copied and pasted things that other people wrote? And say, hey, I, I, I saw this thing that somebody wrote about his wife, and, and hey, here you go. It just really encapsul- encapsulates how I feel about you. And, and just always use somebody else's words to express your affection for them. Well, at some point you start to think, well, do, do, you, do, do you have anything in there? Do, do you have any love or affection for me that, that you could sort of conjure up? Even if it's not the most eloquently written, even if it's not the most perfectly said, if it's from the heart, oh, then it means the world. I'll talk about my, my kids, my, my, my four children, the, the greatest blessing that I have in, in my life other than the Lord Jesus and Heather. 
And when I get home from work, I, I just, I love it when I come in and they come and, and uh, you know, sadly, it's just the little ones that do this now. <laughs> but they come and they grab my legs and they say, Daddy's home. I love you, Daddy. There, there is nothing better on planet Earth than that right there. I don't look at Charity, my four-year-old, and say, you told me that yesterday. <laughs> don't you have anything new? You know? Can't you come up with something better than that? No, because it's true, because it's real, because it's genuine, because it's not fake. She, she, she doesn't need to be coaxed into it. And that's what Jesus is saying here about worship, worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. It doesn't have to be the most perfectly sung. Listen, you, you might not be able to carry a tune in a bucket. God doesn't care. God doesn't care. The people around you might care. But honestly, if you're expressing heartfelt worship to God, even if it's way off key, People are going to hear that and they're going to say, what a beautiful sound unto the Lord. It's an inspiring thing. And so even if you don't have all the right words, even if you don't know how to put it perfectly, I want to encourage you in our worship times. Yes, we sing the songs. Yes, I sing the songs. But even in between the lyrics and, and even when there's a break in the music, let your heart overflow with worship to God. Give, give voice to what is in your heart and stir yourself up in your affection for the Lord. Amen. Spirit and in truth, worshiping God from the deepest places of our soul. You know, you think of in Jesus' day, the, the people that Jesus criticized the most were the Pharisees. And they had their outward worship perfect, down to a T. But their hearts were far from God. Their hearts were so cold. Though, though they did it exactly according to the book, there was no love there. There was no affection there. there was, it wasn't true. It was, it was fake. And so, again, you can come to church and you can put on a good show for everybody else. I'm not asking you to do that. That's not what I'm asking you to do. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. But instead, stir yourself up with the truth of God and the truth of the gospel and, and what he has done for us and, and about how he has stooped so low to lift us so high and, and let your soul be flooded with love for him and then give voice to that love and affection and adoration and to worship God in that way. In Psalm 51, uh, verses 16 and 17, David says... Writing to the Lord, this is, of course, after he had sinned, a great sin, and he's praying this prayer of repentance. He says of the Lord, he says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. A broken and contrite heart. It's all about the heart. Worship is all about the heart. Again, faith, your faith, is the fountainhead of your worship. The deeper your faith, the deeper your worship. 
The higher your faith will soar, the higher your worship of God will soar. That's the first point. The second point tonight is that your faith puts Christ on display. Your faith puts Christ on display. Going back to the the account of Cain and Abel, the, 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 the offering that Abel had, the faith that Abel had, it put his God on display. It put his relationship with God on display. And he even goes into this in uh, Hebrews chapter 4. He says that, that by his faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. And so the, our faith puts Christ on display. And so your faith, your faith in Christ bears witness to a watching world. Your faith in Christ bears witness to a watching world. We all have people in our lives that are watching us, that are looking at us, that are observing us, how we live our lives, how we conduct our lives as a Jesus follower, as a Christ follower. And we bear witness to Christ, which is what he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do. We bear witness to Christ by the way that we live our lives, putting our lives on display, putting our faith on display between our family, to our family and our friends. Now, sometimes our faith will rub others the wrong way. We see this with, with Cain. Uh, Cain was not happy with, with Abel's faith. It, it rubbed him the wrong way. Uh, your faith, sometimes your faith will, will rub others the wrong way. Sometimes your faith in God will even cause you to be persecuted. I love tonight that we prayed for the persecuted church. As we prayed for them, I prayed that they would be witnesses for, for Christ, that, that even under persecution, that their faith would remain strong and that they would be a bold witness for the Lord. Even when persecuted, we are a powerful witness for God. We, we see that here in Abel's life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, 15, 16, that we who serve Christ are the aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ. In verse 16, he says, to one group, we are the fragrance from death to death. To another, a fragrance from life to life. And then he says, who is sufficient for these things? Well, what he's saying is that to those who love the Lord, to those who love Christ, when we put our faith on display, it inspires them, it encourages them. They, they rally behind it, it builds their faith. But then there's another group of people who, who do not love Christ, who do not serve Christ. And when our faith is put on display, it is, as Paul puts it, the aroma of death. It reminds them of where they are before God. That's what Cain saw. He, he saw that uh, he was not right with God by the way Abel lived his life. And likewise, there will be times where there will be people in our lives who, who may become angry with us, who, who, who may take out their animosity with God against us. Now, not all of 
uh, the life of, of a Christian is suffering. In fact, there are many great blessings, abundant blessings to be had in Christ. But we need to realize that our faith gives testimony to Christ. And then our third point tonight, that your faith leaves a legacy that will speak to future generations. Your faith leaves a legacy that speaks to, that preaches to future generations. We see this in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 when, when Paul is writing to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says to Timothy, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Your faith leaves a legacy that speaks to future generations. Again, here we see this in Abel. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He still speaks. And so what this means is the way that you live out your faith right here, right now, the way you live out your faith, it matters. It matters. It matters for the watching world that we put on a good witness for Christ, but it also matters for the generations that are to come because the faith you live is the faith that you pass on. The faith you live is the faith that you pass on. Or to put it another way, the faith you live is the faith that you leave behind. You know, it's said that much more is caught than taught. And we can do, and I'm speaking especially to the parents now and the grandparents in the house, we can teach our kids the truth and I pray to God that we do we can teach them good sound biblical doctrine and I pray that we do but the way we live out those truths matters and if our lives and our lifestyles and the way we treat others and the way we love and serve our spouse and and the way we discipline and and the way that we are generous with others and serve others and the way we prioritize the things of God all of these things It matters how we live out our faith. It's not enough to simply teach truth, though that is important and should be done. What's equally as important, if not more important, is how we live that truth out every single day. There are future generations that our faith will impact will have a direct impact on. By his faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. And so the way you live out your faith, it matters. And so the question, what sort of faith are you living? What sort of faith are you living right now? Because that is the legacy that you are leaving. That's the legacy you're leaving is the kind of faith that you are living. And I want to talk uh, just for a moment to the young people who are here tonight. Um, I, I know that it might not be the most exciting thing or hip thing or 
I don't know what kids call things today that are groovy. groovy? Is that it? I was thinking that, but I thought, no, nah, that can't be it. We used to say cool when I was a kid, but certainly that can't be cool to say cool anymore. Um, but it, it's not the most, again, cool, hip, exciting thing to come with your family to church on Sunday night. In fact, out of your peer group, you're probably the only ones that are at church on Sunday night. But I want you to know that you are immensely blessed to be able to be in the house of God on Sunday nights. I want you to know that. Because, because you, you are, 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 are learning to, to, to devote yourself to the Lord, to devote yourself to the word of God, to, to learn how to live out your faith in an ungodly world. And the sooner you start, the more it pays off. The sooner you start, the more it pays off. It's like compound interest, which Albert Einstein said was the eighth wonder of the world. The, the sooner you start, the, the more it pays off in the end. It's the same, it's just as it is with investing and with compound interest, so it is even more with your faith and walking with the Lord. It begins to compound. It, it begins to produce good fruit. And I know, again, you could be out hanging out with your friends. You could be doing a million different things on a Sunday night. But as you invest in your walk with the Lord, as you invest into the kingdom of God, you're going to start bearing fruit in your life in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 and 40 and 50 years. And, and, and it will start to bear a harvest for you that you cannot even begin to imagine while your friends who are out sowing to a different kingdom, sowing into a different worldview, sowing, again, they used to call it oats. I don't know why they called it oats, but they're out there sowing their oats. That's going to also produce a harvest, but it's not going to be a harvest of righteousness. It's not going to be a harvest that leaves a godly legacy, a godly legacy. I brought some, some visual aids tonight. I'm not a big visual aid guy, but, but I'm getting desperate for Sunday night. So um, I brought some visual aids tonight to, to help you. Uh, I'm, we're talking about living a legacy, that your faith leaves a legacy to future generations. Uh, what I have here tonight is, this is my grandpa's Bible, John Bell. Uh, this is my dad's Bible, David Bell. This is my mom's Bible, uh, Jody Bell. I don't have one of my grandma's Bibles. I got to go. I think I do at, at home, but I didn't have one here at, at, uh, at the church. Uh, this to me is, these are my most, earth, as far as earthly possessions go, these are my most prized earthly possessions. I would run into a burning building for these. because Not, not because there's anything unique or special about these Bibles. They're not even that expensive of Bibles but because of what it represents for me. It represents a legacy of faith that was handed down to me. And just as with, with Timothy, Paul writes to him and he says, hey, that faith, it, 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 it didn't start with you, Timothy. You're going through a tough season. You're going through a tough time. 
your faith is being tested and challenged, but you need to know, Timothy, that that faith that's in you, before it was in you, it was in your mother. She handed that faith down to you. And guess what? Before that faith was in her, it was in your grandmother. And they handed it down to you. And now, Timothy, no matter how hard it gets, it's your job to now hand that faith on to the next generation that's coming up behind you. And so what this represents for me is is my grandparents that loved and served the Lord, my parents that loved and served the Lord. They weren't perfect people. They made tons of mistakes. Just like I'm not perfect and I'm making tons of mistakes, but they loved the Lord. They had real faith, genuine faith, and then they handed that down to me and my brothers and to our, and to our family. And, to our, and, to, 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 um, and now we're handing it down to, to our children. This here, I don't know if you can see this, it's a little New Testament and uh, Psalms. Actually, actually, I want to read something to you. My grandpa gave me this Bible on my 10th birthday when I turned 10. Uh, he had gotten a new Bible for his birthday. And when he got his Bible, I saw that he opened a new Bible. Look at, look at how this is so... This wasn't a Bible that sat on the shelf and collected dust. Uh, this was well read and, and well used. It looks like something Indiana Jones might find. When... When I saw that he, he got a new Bible, I said, Grandpa, can I have your old Bible? And so a few months later, he gave me this Bible. And he wrote in here this little note. It says, to my beloved grandson, Matthew Bell, on your 10th birthday, July 23rd, 1991, with my love and prayers that you will always follow the teaching of this wonderful book, Grandpa Bell. That, I, I, would, I would not sell this for a million dollars. You can come write me a check right now. You can keep your stinking million dollars. This means more to me than all the money in the world because of what it represents, because of what it means. Now, I've, because of the magic of photocopiers, I've photocopied that note and I have it taped here in the front of, of my Bible that I carry with me every single day and, and everywhere that I go. But anyway, there's this other little Bible here. And this is a little New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs. And on the inside, it says, presented to Matthew Bell. This is my first Bible. By mommy and daddy, and this is my mom's handwriting, so she put her name first. By mommy and daddy, on July 23rd, 1983, for your second birthday. Now, I know what you're thinking. He must have been a boy genius to be able to read the Bible at two years old. No, no, but what my parents taught me, they gave me this Bible because they taught me to bring your Bible to church. And from two years old, I was taught, when you go to church, you bring your Bible. And guess what? I still bring my Bible to church every Sunday. The faith, the legacy, the way we live our faith matters. The way you live your faith matters. It it passes it on to the next generation. The other thing about these Bibles that's remarkable 
is that they are well-worn, that they are well-used. These were well-read. They didn't just sit on a shelf somewhere. And that's the legacy of faith for my family is uh, people who loved the Lord and who loved his word and hid their, the, God's word in their hearts. Now, I was at an estate sale the other day. I don't know why. I never go to estate sales. I just happen to be passing by. And I, I mean, I've been to like two estate sales in 40 years of life, but I went to this estate sale. And they were selling this person's Bibles. And that just blew my mind. I just thought, how, how in the world do you sell your parents' Bibles who have passed away? And so I bought these, these Bibles. Now, here's this other little New Testament for $2.50. I got a steal on this. This, this was presented to him in 1942. That's like 80 years ago. Same with this one. It's from the 40s. And I thought, how could they, how could they, how could they, and they had a whole bunch of Bibles. And these are the two that I picked up. How could they just sell those? How could they just get rid of those? I get selling the, you know, the Leonard Skinner records. Okay, well, you know, Whatever. But their Bible, the Bibles, that's, that's their legacy of faith. But then I noticed something. I noticed something. Though these Bibles are nearly, and all of them were this way, though they're nearly 80 years old, they're like they're brand new. They're like they're brand new. Not a single mark, not a single underline, not a single highlight. In fact, it looks as though these pages have never been read or opened. And that was the legacy of faith that that person left. And it was nothing to be cherished. It was nothing to be held on to. It was just another book to be sold among a bunch of other books. So are we living our lives in such a way that we're leaving a legacy of faith However we're living, we're leaving a legacy. However you choose to live, you can either live out your faith in a bold way that follows God, confident obedience, regardless of the circumstances and consequences. You can have your, your lifestyle match your confession and your profession or not, but you will leave a legacy. You might be thinking, well, up until this point, I've done a terrible job. You know what? Forget the past. Start right now. Start right now. Well, I've wasted so much time. I, I, I should have started in my teen years. I should have started in my 20s and my 30s. And I've wasted so much time. You know what? Maybe you have wasted a bunch of time. But the only thing worse than having wasted time is continuing to waste time just because you're sad about having wasted time. Start today. The Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. Start leaving a legacy of faith now. You may be in your 70s. Start now. 
Start now. You might think, well, what are people going to think about me? I've lived my life this way, and now I'm just going to be bold in my faith. I'm going to be praying for people. I'm going to be leaving a legacy of faith. What are people going to think? Number one, who cares? Number two, you know what they're going to think? They're going to think you love Jesus. And number three, do we live for God's pleasure or not? Living a life of faith. Living a life of faith. We can live lives that, that outlive us, that are blessings to future generations. But it takes bold action. It, it takes obeying God's word. It, it takes having the way that we live match the words that we speak. None of us is perfect. We're all going to fall short. You know, I honored my grandparents and parents tonight. They were not perfect. Um, but they love the Lord. And they did their best to teach their kids the word of God and to model it as best as they could. And that's really what we're talking about here. What Abel did, he brought his first and his best. He brought his first and his best. So the question for us is, in our worship of the Lord, in our living out our faith, are we going for it? Are we giving it all that it's got? Are we giving God our first and our best? Because that's what he desires. That's what he requires. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this example of Abel, someone who worshiped you in spirit and in truth, someone whose faith propelled them into, into worship that was pleasing to you. Lord, I pray for each one of us that, that our faith would grow, that our love for you would deepen. Lord, that our worship would be true, Lord, that it would be the kind of worship that you are, are desiring, that you would help us to express uh, the, what you've done for us and that our souls would be so filled with, with gratitude. Lord, that you would remind us daily that every day as, as Christ followers, we are an example to the people around us. Every day there's a watching world that's seeing the sort of faith that we are living out. And Lord, help us to live our lives, uh, not just for today, but realizing that the way we live today is leaving a legacy for tomorrow. Help us to understand that the decisions that we make today, Lord, they have great impact not only in our lives, but in the lives of future generations to come. Help us at Destiny Church to be a people that leave a great legacy of faith for the future generations to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.